the shooters touch. Can't nobody shoot like me. Fourth quarter down three, need a two and one. Better call on me, better call on me. If you know you need a shooter, I'm ice cold like a cooler. Get you right though, I can tutor. This that mic flow, I'm a hooper. I got blue faces on. This week on the Shooters Touch, we welcome Brett Putts, the head basketball coach at Des Moines Area Community College. Not only is Coach Putts in his first year at DMAC, but he is also a national champion head coach at the JUCO level. That's right. His very first year at Des Moines area, they took home the title from Danville, Illinois, and are national champions. We have a great conversation with Coach Putz about where he came from, the time he put in at, at multiple different schools, um, and how he prepared his team and got his team ready coming into um, a COVID year when nobody was really sure what was going to happen and how he got his players to buy into him and his coaching staff with little ramp time um, and different situations going on. Yes, we do talk to coach about his time um, in Danville, Illinois. You know, we give Danville a lot of crap on the podcast, but they put on a great tournament. This year was, was nothing less than spectacular with COVID and with the competition of basketball, the players and the teams and that whole, and that whole entire tournament is always great. Again, like I said, we have a great conversation with Coach Putz. He is, as you will see, wise beyond his years when it comes to coaching basketball. And it was a pleasure to talk to him. So sit back, relax, and here is Coach Brett Putz. Well, welcome to the Shooter's Touch, Coach. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Coach, we appreciate you fitting some time in. We know you're busy. Um, obviously, big year for you. Big year for everybody with COVID and the changes, and we'll get to some of that. But uh, uh, national championship, we'll get to that as well. But uh, got to know, who was there somebody that reached out or contacted you after winning the national championship that kind of caught you a little off guard? Um, yeah, and this actually is probably going to be funny to Adam, but uh, Coach McDermott, um, my – so my dad and Coach McDermott are both from Cascade. My grandma and his mom were like second cousins. So like I've known Coach McDermott since I was like 12. I grew up going to UNI camps. Um, Nick and I are the same age and pretty decent friends. Tyler and Doug are the same age, played AU together and are very good friends. Um, but yeah, again, that text, like I'll text him stuff, but I'm not used to him. Like he'll text me back, but I'm not used to him uh, texting me. So that one and then uh, – Steve Forbes had a tweet um, about Coach Herkelman and, and myself because uh, we're both Iowa guys that won the national championships at the JUCO level. Um, and Steve Forbes is like a mentor of mine and he has no clue about it. Like I'm a, like I told Adam offline, like I'm a small town Iowa basketball nerd. And so like growing up, Iowa players that were good high school players and had good college careers I followed. Um, but then coaches now as well. And so like coach Jans and coach Forbes are guys that have really grinded it out a lot of different ways. And I just have a ton of respect for them. Um, and, and like I said, they're mentors of mine without even knowing or having really met me uh, a whole lot. So that was the other kind of cool one, those two. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, you know, actually I, I tell people this all the time, but I played, played for coach McDermott a long, long time ago. And uh, I still get um, a text every every birthday. I oh. have he he remembers my birthday every every year. So I'm yeah, sure he has notification about it. But uh, yeah, you, I don't know that a lot of coaches do that. No, absolutely. Um, and you'll you'll appreciate this one too. So when I first got this job, 
uh, Matt Schneiderman texts me congratulations because Matt works for DMAC. And he's like, yep. hey, I don't know if you remember me. I was like, dude, I used to look up to you, man. Like I was in middle school, high school when you were killing it. It's like, don't introduce yourself to me, man. Like, I used to you. like that was like a weird, surreal moment for me as like, dude, like Matt, like I know you way better than you think I know you. So I always joke with him. He'll text me from time to time still. And I always joke with him about that one too. That's funny. I, I, I actually talked to Schneider this morning. Now you say that. So yeah. very, 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 very small world. That's for sure. Um, well, let's jump back a little bit here, coach. Um, obviously Iowa kid, um, which is, you know, you fit in well here at the Shears Touch, but uh, let's talk childhood. Um, how childhood, you know, obviously growing up um, with athletics in there um, and then eventually where did uh, where did basketball come in and when did you know basketball basketball was the way? Yeah, you know, Forest City is a great basketball town, um, especially when I was younger and it still is. But like when I was younger um, in, in, in elementary and stuff like that, you had, you know, Jeff Jerome was a really good player, um, you know, good athlete, Rob Campman, um, you know, Drew Edson, Reed Brookholder. Like there's a bunch of guys that like I just looked up to that they had very good teams, obviously making the state tournaments some of like some, some of that stuff but you know Bob Hilmer really created a great basketball community and great basketball culture there um, and a lot of people forget that he coached there because it's been a while now um, but uh, Forest City was just like you know just small town kid that we played all the different sports and now kind of in middle school is when basketball kind of started to get to the front of my mind um, and a lot of it stemmed from my dad was the elementary principal there uh, he retired about three years ago so I had keys to the elementary gym. Like we could get in the gym whenever we wanted. So like we could go up at night and just shoot. Um, once I got my school permit, um, I'll admit this to the Forest City PD now, I drove off my school permit to go to the elementary school. I apologize, but um, you know, we had the YMCA. So like there was a lot of different gyms we could go to. And that was just kind of my release. Um, obviously being in Iowa, you know, during the winters, this to that, like I'm not going outside to do stuff like so just being inside in the gym and, and having that you know ability uh was great and that's kind of where I started to fall more and more in love and obviously got to be a decent player um and, and that always helps at the end of the day but like that was just kind of the sport like Forest City was a basketball town uh I was a pretty good athlete and so like I just wanted to kind of help along the legacy of Forest City basketball like that was kind of my goal um you know, with things when I was younger and in middle school and, and growing up that way. So just the, the culture and the community that I grew up in was a huge part of it. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we remember those teams very well um, here way, uh, way back in the day. But um, yeah, it, it's funny to talk to people who, uh, who are in basketball, who are big in basketball, how they got their start by, you know, my dad was the principal like you, you know, my dad was the girls high school basketball coach. So, you know, would, would, me and my brother would be at practice every night and, you know, we'd be getting yelled at too much that we're, I was dribbling the basketball too much, but, um, uh, you know, you just, you're around the game so much and it just, it just kind of, kind of blended with you. So that's a, that's a cool story. Um, what about other sports? Uh, was it all basketball? Um, I mean, maybe from a smaller town had, yeah. uh, had a few other sports in there too. Yeah, no. Um, I was a four sport athlete until, basically after my freshman year uh, and then did three and then kind of dropped to just football and basketball um, by, by the last two years, I think it was, um, you know, and it's a funny story that people don't know. Like I was actually not going to go off for football my senior year. And uh, we got a new coach go up and talk to him. And I was kind of like getting ready to tell him I'm on the fence. And 
basically the conversation was like, oh, you're in? Okay, good. And then I just like didn't have the guts to tell him I wasn't going to do it. Uh, and ended up being an all-state football player that year and a receiver. So it's like, it was fun, but it's like, oh, dang. Okay. Like, I guess this is, this is what we're doing, um, you know, with things. So yeah, it was four. And then kind of as things go, AU became more important. So like track was okay, but, um, you know, AU events came in the way. Same thing with baseball. Like uh, when Jerome got to be the baseball coach, I was a pitcher and like, you know, he was willing to give me some flexibility, but like, I just didn't like doing that stuff at the end of the day. Like I don't, and even now as a coach, like it, I'm the same way. Like I, I understand what you're, where he's coming from and this and that, but like, I don't think it's fair to the other players that are there all the time. If I just show up and play and this and that, like that, that's tough. Um, and so I, you know, they're my friends and I didn't feel like that was probably what was best for me uh, and, and for the team. And so I decided, you know, to focus on AU and basketball. Obviously it all played out well at the end of the yeah. day. In or out mindset kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, you know, like half halfway in halfway out, like I'm here when I can, like, you know, I actually was playing um, varsity as an eighth grader and I had signed up for Iowa basketball camp um, for like a week long basketball camp in July, like way back in May when I never even thought I was going to be, I thought maybe JV, but that was it. And our season would be done. And so then I end up being the shortstop because our best pitcher, you know, he played short, all that, all those little small town things. And um, so I leave and it's like, I come back and it's the playoff game. And obviously I've been gone for a week. Like they're not going to start me, nor should, nor should they. And, you know, so like that kind of just remembered in my brain, it's like, Hey, like, you know, there's some other things I want to do this or that. And it's just, you know, you want the team to have the continuity of guys that are there all the time. And so that's kind of a big part of the decision there. And yeah. those uh, those Iowa basketball camps were a big deal back in the day too. Oh, dude! Like when, so, when yeah. I'm there, like that was the first time I met um, uh, Zach Bohannon, like all these different dudes that I end up playing AAU against later on. Um, you know, that were a year younger than me. Like they were all at the camp, and so we all got to know each other there. Like it was wild. Like all those Eastern Iowa, Waterloo, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, like all those guys um you know we're there and so that's how I got to know those guys is just through that camp it was thinking back on it like it was freaking loaded especially especially coming like you said from you know North Iowa small town and then being able to start to play against some of this competition that you you know don't get to run with every day in your in your town and so yeah it's an eye-opening experience and I think it's a, a motivating one you know for us you know similar players where it's like all right let's take what we learned here and go back to our town and maybe teach a few of our players or teammates some stuff and then grow our game as well. No, 100%. Yeah. Um, well, so, so was basketball always, always the sport um, and just played those others. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I yeah. kind of did the same thing. Yeah. Played, played all four sports and basketball is always that. Yeah. By the time I got to high school, it was the sport and everybody kind of knew it. Like, you know, I played varsity as a freshman on, on uh, that, on the basketball team you know, and different stuff like that. So everybody kind of yeah. knew I, mean, I was in the, I was in the gym all the time. Like people knew I'd do the other stuff and, and work at it. But like, it's not like I was, um, not like I was running extra sprints to help me in track or anything. Like that. <laughs> same, same here. So I, I, I totally know where you're coming from. Um, so, so how was, how was your high school team then? Uh, just walk us through briefly about the four years you played for, um, up there. Yeah, we won four NIC championships. Um, so we were, we were really good. I mean, my, so like my brother and I, uh, Tyler got to play together my last two years. So like Tyler and I were a part of six straight 
uh, North Iowa Conference Championship team. So um, the first two years, um, you know, just kind of a role player, uh, you know, type thing. And then this last two years kind of stepped into a bigger role. And, and you know, Coach Rosacker was really, really good coach that he like this is an overlooked thing in high school coaching, in my opinion, like he lets his good players be good, you know, and like, that's not always the case necessarily. Sometimes they try to kind of pull the reins back a little bit or have control. Uh, and it's not that he didn't have control, but like he trusted me, he trusted, you know, Tyler, he trusted some of us to do certain things to play to our strengths. Uh, and so like, I got to shoot the ball a lot and it, you know, score a decent amount and all that stuff. So like, and we, we had some success, uh, that way, my senior year, we were undefeated until we played Wallert in the semifinals um, and lost to Wallert in the state tournament in the semifinals. Gotcha. So made it down there. <clears throat> made it down there once? Yeah, just once. My sophomore year was the other time we thought maybe we could, and we got upset by uh, by Humble with um, oh the two dudes that went and played football at Iowa and then uh, the who was a friend of mine, and I can't think of near, Was it near him or uh... – Nielsen was Nielsen. the was Tyler the linebacker. Tyler yep. Nielsen, six five, like stud athlete. Then you yep. had the like lineman who was a good athlete as well, or defensive lineman. And then I can't think of the basketball player now who went to Co. Six three, uh, kind of guard, like slashing guard, played for Marm Brothers. And I can't think of his name to save my life. So it wasn't the BB. It wasn't Jordan BB, was it? Was it? It was. It wasn't BB. Um, and I can't think of what his name is. It, it's funny because actually when my would have been like my junior and senior year, I think mm -hmm. in high school, we put together a select AU team for um, I think would have been seventh graders and Tyler Nielsen um, was one of the players on our team, uh, Caleb Lookout and then some Evansburg, Matt Keelan, some guys over from Evansburg. Um, and so, yeah, so it was, it was funny because obviously then seeing those guys grow and have success in high school and obviously gone to Iowa was was a lot of fun. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, they, I mean, like playing against him, like obviously like he kind of cared about basketball, but like that dude is just so athletic, so yeah. athletic and strong. Um, and when did, so when did the conference change for you guys too? Because obviously the North Iowa conference has changed crazy. Yeah, that, that's hard for me to follow. <laughs> cause it's like, it, it's, it's huge now. Right. Like, I mean, cause every Eagle Grove, Garrigan, like all those schools have gone up to that conference now. Right. Yeah, so like, I think it was four years ago. I'm probably going to be wrong on this because I, I have not, like I follow Forest City, but like the league confuses me. Like there's two sides of it now too. Like, so basically like the, the small NCC schools, I think combined and came up. The NSIC stayed together, but then like, um, oh shoot, like it's, it's like, it used to be like a four letter, like a bunch of small towns joined and now their yep. school changed. Like North I was Union, in, yeah, yeah. So yeah. North Union, so that, yeah. that's like six different schools, I think now that all formed together, um, Osage. But then I think it went more east now a little bit too. So it, it's been hard for me to follow, I'll be honest, because like, it's like 16 teams or whatever now. It's wild because like you're all the way down to like North Butler, I think now, Northwood Kinseth, like a lot of those. Um, Probably Eagle Grove. I mean, it's crazy. I, like I said, so going back, um, you know, when I was in high school and we would play Fort City, um, you know, obviously your guys' conference was not near that big. And that was, you know, Campman and some of those guys that you mentioned. And I always, I always remember, you know, a lot of those teams going like 30 and one or 
29 and two, and then, you know, running into a buzzsaw of catching one of these teams and being like, man, how did four city, you know, not find their way down the state tournament this year? Yep. No, that, uh, that was very much a thing. <laughs> like it, uh, once you had to go up to three, a, I think now that they're two way, it helps more when they, cause we were always like right there on the border. They're two way now. So that helps a little bit more, but that was always the thing. Like, um, and we tried to schedule non-conference the best we could, you know, with that stuff. But like, obviously playing Algona, Charles City, um, Mason City. Usually, I'm trying to think who else we would play with it. But you know, we we did what we could. But then we'd run into them at some point in time uh, in the in the league stuff, and that was always the knock at the end of the day. Like, well, the conference doesn't totally help them with it, and we couldn't do anything about it. We were just kind of up in that area and. Um, there was always those rumors about joining the NCC, but then we never did. And uh, I don't know. I just I, had to play who we played. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it's completely different now. It's, it seems like it's teams are more flexible or willing to travel or whatever it is. But yeah, in, in those days, it's like, hey, we just play who's in front of us and do what we can. Yeah, so football was the hard one. Football, like we'd end up, we could go south one year. We went east one year, which was horrible because like east was all like, old school, huge linemen. Like we only had like two guys over 200 pounds on our defensive line, which is crazy to think about. Um, or we'd go South. So like we play, I remember playing Boone in football, like playing the it was really good. Yeah. We have a lot of three, a schools around us um, to play all the time. So it is what it is. Yeah. High school athletics in general is all about obviously location and stuff like that. But um, it's kind of a funny story. I, I actually, uh, you're talking about NCC schools. I actually was at Jeff Jim in Webster City when Cam and came to play Webster City there. Uh, I think Alford might have been there to watch to watch yeah, it. I um, remember, yes, and yeah, that was wild. I remember that sitting. Was one of those. I remember driving over. I remember like because everyone's like, "Hey, like the gym's not super big," uh, and so you got to get there really, really early to get tickets and all this mm -hmm. different stuff. Um, dude, I, yeah, I remember that game. Yeah, and that would have been I was, like I was in standing room only. That would have been yeah. like Barrenfuss and um, all those guys at Webster City too. So that would have been yeah. those two teams would have been yeah. top and of three A. I remember this one too. They they started the game with an alley oop to Jeff Jerome, uh, yeah. they do, and the place went crazy. And then <laughs> Webster City kind of took control. I remember after that. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was a fun environment. I think. Gosh, I might have been like a maybe freshman, sophomore, so I hadn't seen anything like that. I mean, AGWSR just can't pack that many people in gyms. Um, but such a great environment, such a great environment. Um, well, cool. Hey, so we're so we're through high school now. What uh, obviously you went on went on to play college college hoops as well. Um, what was the recruiting process like? Um, <clears throat> and then what um, in the end made you? Uh, I what made you go with St. Cloud State? Yeah, so. The recruiting process was was um, was good. It was interesting, obviously, to navigate because I kind of knew, and my dad had done enough research on stuff. Like I kind of knew um, Division Two was probably going to be the level. Like just like everybody, you know, I had some dreams of you know dreams of playing Division One and and this and that. But uh, you know, I was basically the kind of the thing was I was like two inches short. Like if I was six two, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But it is what it is. Um, you know, so I just kind of navigated it the best I could uh, I had you know like Wayne State uh, Northwest Missouri State was you know involved Upper Iowa St. Cloud State um, were kind of the four consistent ones uh, with things so you know I chose St. Cloud just because like it was exactly what I was looking for 
you know, my dream school had always been you and I, honestly, just because of Coach McDermott growing up and all this stuff. And St. Cloud and you and I had a ton of similarities as far as town size, campus size, what the school was known for, um, you know, with things. So it was a, it was a school of about 17,000 students at the time. St. Cloud is a community of 60,000, but then the surrounding is about 100,000 people. So it was a bigger, bigger community, bigger campus. Um, and obviously the basketball program was really good. Um, Coach Schlegel is one of the best people I've ever um, been around. You know, like you talked about with Coach McDermott, like I still get texts from him checking in on me all the time. Uh, you know, after we won the national championship, I had a text from him like right away when I got in the locker room, just unbelievable person. Um, really, really good basketball coach, obviously too, but just like he's left such a big mark on me because of how he treats people and the type of person that he is. Um, you know, and Matt Reimer was a, an Iowa guy, Eastern Iowa guy that recruited me. He was the assistant. Now he's the head coach. So just really enjoyed everything about the program, about the campus, um, you know, and those type of things. So it was, uh, it was just kind of the right fit for me and kind of it checked every box that I was looking for uh, in a school. Yeah, that's, and that's, um, you know, you mentioned the, you know, your aspirations of playing at a higher level, but then realizing maybe the a lower level might be something that you may have to consider. We talk about it all the time here that, you know, at least it seems like nowadays kids don't really have that. Um, you know, it's either, hey, I'm going this high level or, or I'm considered a failure or, you know, I'm not successful. So it's awesome to hear that you and your dad it sounds like had that conversation um, and, and, and you were really self-aware enough that, Hey, this is, might be my best route to get, to get that playing time. Um, awesome. Awesome to hear, I guess, just. Yeah, no. And, and honestly, like it's helped me now as a coach, like at this level, cause like, you know, it, it is what it is. Like we all can't be division one basketball players. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, but I get people having those goals, but you also have to understand like, what do you really want out of your college experience? You know, like I had some opportunities to walk on, like, you know, Coach McDermott, you know, told me like, hey, if you wanted to walk on, that'd be fine, but never really recruited me to do it or pressured or whatever. Um, and had some other schools with that as well. But it's like, I, I wanted to play. I knew myself, like I knew I wanted to play. Um, and so that was a big thing with me is like, I wanted to go somewhere where I could play. And I ended up having, you know, a pretty good career at St. Cloud and I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, it sounds like you did exactly that. Um, I got stats that I see here. Um, number one, games played at St. Cloud. Um, and number two, maybe in three-pointers made. I mean, well, that's, 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 that, 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 bit that's great. Yeah, they, yeah, I think I'm fourth in three-pointers made. Uh, I don't know about the games. I might be second in games, but I don't remember for sure. I don't keep up with that stuff, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Like, like my uh, head coach there now, uh, Matt Reimer, describes me as uh, the worst player to score 14, about 1,400 points. I can score 1,400 points, so but I just don't correct him either. This is probably yep, the best yeah. I've ever corrected. Like the number keeps getting higher every couple of years. So I'm like, keep, keep, keep yep. it going up. Like it's not that keep number. Yeah, just keep going up. I'm not going to correct you. You gotta gotta figure in uh, inflation on it that too, and as many points as teams are scoring now, and so that only makes sense. Like I yeah. was second in threes, and I was in a comfortable spot, and then one of the kids, like his senior year, like just blew it out of the water. I can't remember how many he made. He might have made over a hundred, and then passed me uh, by like two or three or whatever uh, with stuff. So yeah, no, with <laughs> the way the game's changing, uh, man, I wish I could play. I wish I could play now because I, I could get a whole lot more up uh, now. 
Same. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so um, I was like I said, either way, uh, you know, first, second games played, that's a lot of games. Um, so uh, walk right into a starting role or how did that progress? No, I do. I had a horrible first month of, of practice. Like I was, uh, they were, you know, they had recruited me as kind of a combo guard. Our starting point guard had gotten hurt. So they were trying me out at point and you want to talk about from small town basketball to college basketball. <laughs> it was rough. It was rough. I think they till, still tell stories to freshmen about how bad I was to try to help their confidence a little bit, um, you know, with things, but uh, got it figured out a little bit more slid off the ball. Um, now, once our point guard started to get, got back healthy. Um, and then I, I ended up starting, I think, the second semester of my freshman year, the whole time, uh, sophomore year, I kind of had that, um, got a little bit into myself, thought I was a little bit better than I, I was and, and, uh, with some things and, and, um, started like half the games that year, but played in every game. So like I played in every game in my college career. I was really fortunate in high school and, uh, college. I didn't miss a single game in either and I, I missed one practice my entire high school or college career I've been really really fortunate to stay healthy um, and the only reason I missed the practice is because I had the flu and my coach sent me home um, I had like come to school half the day to go to practice and he's like no man like go go home I was like okay like that, that's the only reason I ever missed a practice in college or, or high school um, so the long like the I was pretty reliable that way and then uh, junior senior year started every game and and went from there. So I was a good uh, role player as a shooter at the end of the day. Like if I was our third or fourth leading scorer, we were going to be pretty good. If I had to be our first, I was never our first, but if I had to be higher than that, then, you know, probably not great uh, for our team necessarily. Like I wasn't a guy that could create my own shot necessarily. So I ran around screens all the time. We had this play called Valley that all the guys I used to play against, um, talk about all the time so it was two post players on the baseline and I just ran off screens and they had two guys up top passing it back and forth so I just ran around off screens and we were really good at setting some moving screens possibly um <laughs> that's been column so they're not moving but uh but uh yeah I did that you know we had you know just really good teams um and really good balance so we were really fortunate to have some some really really good teams played in three uh, D2 NCA tournaments. Uh, we made it to the NCA. Uh, the D2, like we don't have the final four. We have the the elite eight because how they do the division two one is they split it up into eight regions. And then the winner of that region, they all come together uh, in the elite eight there. So that's kind of the D2 thing. It was out at Springfield, Massachusetts. So we got to go out East, go to the national or the basketball hall of fame, you know, had a banquet there. And, uh, it was an awesome experience. Ended up losing to, uh, Indiana University, Pennsylvania, um, in the final four that year. Wow. So, sounds like a little bit of a, a Rip Hamilton type offense. Um, back uh, in a little day. bit, yeah. No, it was fun, man. Like, I, I, you knew you were on coach's bad side when he flipped you from the top group to the second group in practice and he made you guard Valley. Guard. So he did Everyone's have running through screens. <laughs> oh, man, that's the worst. Figure this out. And, like, oh, it was. Yeah, man, it was fun for me, but yeah. not for people that had to had to guard us because we had we had really good post players as well. So like, you know, I could flare off of it, catch it, throw it into the post now, or they'd flash high low. You know, there's a lot of different little wrinkles you could run off of it. But uh, yeah, man, that, it was fun. That's what like even once I got into coaching, all the coaches I you know played against would would talk about 
you know, Valley and, and garden it and this and that. My wife makes fun of me about it all the time. Like, Oh, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, throw me the ball. Like running around. It's like, she, yeah. she likes to make fun of me in any way, shape or form she can. So she'll still remind me of that. I, I always say, you know, how, how much does it suck to try to defend running off screens all day? Then why wouldn't on the offensive end, why don't we set more screens? Because we all know that it sucks to try to defend getting through screens. So let's just yeah, set a ton no, of screens, no, you know? For sure. I mean, yeah. we, the game's evolved now, but like we try to set, you know, as many ball screens and do some different wrinkles that way. But the minute we start to do some off ball screens, it's amazing how open you can get because it just isn't, just doesn't happen as, as much anymore. Yeah. We, uh, <clears throat> we talked about Matt Schneiderman before. He was one of the best, um, one of the best legal screen setters that I've ever, ever played with. And, and he'll tell you the same thing, but he probably won't call him legal. Um, he was he was always fun to be be on team with, especially as a shooter, get a run off his screens. But uh, well, um, when did the coaching bug hit you? So when I was in college, I coached AU with the Iowa Mavericks and Iowa Barnstormers, uh, and that's when it hit. Like I had always known that's kind of what I thought I wanted to do, but that just like solidified it for me. Um, I just really enjoyed. Uh, you know, getting to know the kids and, and coaching and that stuff. And and I was really fortunate. Like I got to coach really good teams. Like I coached Clint Carlson when his freshman and, and his 15 U and 16 U year and Clint and I are super close. Clint was actually going to come here before he got too big time and got an NBA job and, and all this, this stuff. So he chose the Charlotte Hornets over DMAC. Um, but yeah, I yeah. coached him and still really close with him. Coach Brian Forbes uh, from Lone Tree, who had a great career at Briar Cliffs. Now I'll be assistant at Briar Cliff. Um, Luke Lenhard, who had a great career at, uh, at Upper Iowa. Like I got to coach a lot of very good players. Uh, and it was just fun, those relationships, and then getting to see how those guys developed over time um, is just the part I really, really enjoyed. Um, and that's kind of when I knew that's what I wanted to do for sure. Um, you know, I, I maybe would have had some opportunities to play after college, but like at the time, kind of being an immature college kid, I was like, well, there's a lot of six-foot white guys that want to play overseas. You know, it's harder to get in the door in coaching, um, and, and it's worked out, you know, obviously really well. I was able to get a lot of really good coaching experience at a young age that's helped me significantly, you know, in this job and, and just in my career in general. So was the – were you a GA then? Was that an easy transition then for St. Cloud, yeah, or how'd that come about? Technically, I was a G, GA second assistant. Like, I didn't get my – I didn't get my master's from St. Cloud, but, like, they had a second assistant position uh, – I don't know if maybe paid 9,000 or something like that or whatever, but I, that, that is what it was. The, the hard part was I was the only senior um, on the team, you know, my senior year. And so I was coaching my roommates and all my teammates from the year before and this and that. And so that was the hard balance between, you know, things. And I went on the super extreme end um, just to try to like prove like, Hey, like, please respect me for this, like this or that, you know, even like my buddies that were on the baseball team, football team, like I didn't hang out with any student athletes, um, you know, basically until they were like graduated or done with their eligibility or whatever. Cause I, I just, I knew that was the big thing. Um, and it, it, at the end of the day, they really respected me for it, uh, you know, with stuff that way, but it was, it was interesting at the end of the day. Like one of, like I said, one of my best friends and roommates, like who we'd hang out all the time. is like, Hey, no, just come out, just come hang out with me, man. Just come do this. I'm like, man, I can't, like, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. And then the minute he was done with his eligibility and all that stuff, we were right back 
you know, to it, but, uh, they, they all respect me, respected me for it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was tough. That's for sure. Yeah. We, I, we've had several people on who said that that transition that first year is always the toughest because you're, you're now you're coaching and you got to hold yourself at a little bit different level, but what was the first time when all of a sudden you, you gained appreciation, um, for the, all the coaches that you've had in the past now being on the other side, um, and being a coach and being like, man, these guys, these guys actually put in a lot more time than maybe I thought. Um, you know, I kind of knew, I guess, but one of the things was when we, uh, I can't remember what the video recording stuff we used to use to download film was, but like we had basically, we all had, it was kind of like synergy, but they didn't break it down, but we had to upload our, our film, uh, to something. And was it huddle? Was that uh, it wasn't it wasn't huddle I don't remember what it was but it was just some way we used huddle but like there was a different way for the uh video exchange and so you had access to everybody's all of their games like just the files to their games and so I was you know I, I was new with it and I my the first scout I ever had to do was against our rival St. John's College in, in Minnesota but like it was a live scout because they were off playing Michigan State and they had a, a, a exhibition game against Concordia St. Paul and so I had to live scout that we didn't have any film on them really we knew them from the past but they switched what they were doing offensively uh as well um so I had to live scout that one so like I went off one game and it, I got lucky but uh, the scout worked and, and we won and all this stuff. But uh, as we're getting ready for the next game, they're talking about how much film they had watched on the team from the previous year. Uh, and they're talking about, oh, I've watched five, six, seven games. I was like, oh, dang. Like, okay. Like I usually like, you know, I didn't know any better. And I'm not saying like I wasn't watching film. I just didn't really have a clue on how many games to watch and they talked about like yeah like once we got this thing like I had to really um monitor myself on how much film of theirs you know I'm watching and that was like oh dang like okay like I knew you watched film and I knew this or that but it's like holy cow like that that's I mean it's that's a lot of time invested in it now we played you know Friday Saturdays most of the time so you had like Sunday through you know on but uh yeah, it, it was wild because, I mean, I basically learned, like, every night once they leave, they're going home and watching film on our opponents. I just – I never thought about that. That didn't totally register with me as a player. Yeah, it, it just seems like, all right, here's the scouting report. Here's what we're doing. And you just kind of take that a little bit for granted until you're the one on the other side cutting that. But uh, – so then St. Cloud and then had an opportunity to go down to Wayne State. Is that is that correct? What uh, – how did that yeah, transition look like? On paper, yeah. So I got hired by Brian Dolan at Upper Iowa. Uh, and I was at Upper Iowa for a month. And then he got the Wayne State job uh, and brought me with. So, like, I don't put Upper Iowa on the resume, but I, I'll, I'll throw a brief stop of sleeping on someone's couch in Fayette, uh, Iowa, living out of my – like, there's been two different summers I basically lived out of my car, and I've lost so many clothes that summer. Like, some of my favorite clothes I lost that summer, those summers, because, like, just living out of your car and, and this and that. So – um, yeah, ended up at Wayne State um, in August. So like I got to Upper Iowa like June 1st and then, or yeah, June 1st or no, July 1st. And then by August 1st, I was at Wayne State and was there for three years. And so then obviously the Mc Coach McDermott and Hendo connections and 
all those different things, uh, you know, came into play. You know, Matt Merkin, um, who's at Minot State as the head coach there. My AD, uh, BJ McGinn, was a, an assistant there for multiple years. You know, Rico Burkett, like you just, I mean, shoot, PJ Hogan. I didn't even realize PJ Hogan was a, was like a GA or something there for Mac. Like the, the, the names of the coaches that have come through Wayne State is so impressive. Like Paul Sather. Uh, as well the head coach at North Dakota like I'm missing people and I apologize for that but like it's it's amazing to go back and look through um, the the head coaching pictures and see who was all on these staffs because they they're at some really really great places and that there's some really great coaches it definitely seems that way that that's kind of a program that uh, you know for lack of better terms a, a feeder program for coaches to be able to kind of go in and cut their teeth a little bit and and, and yeah. figure some things out and so all right so then after Wayne State then is that when you went to UNO as as the as the Devo or what yeah, yeah. The one last little Wayne thing that I don't think people know Don Meyer uh, the legendary coach grew up in Wayne so like he's from Wayne so like when Northern and Wayne would play that was a big deal his sister uh, Nancy used to be who the GAs would live in her basement. She had like a two-story house that had a basement, kitchen, all that stuff. You could basically be an apartment. And so like, that's where all the GAs at Wayne lived for a really, really long time is with, uh, is with Nancy. So it's like, just again, small world type stuff there, um, you know, big time. So, uh, so yeah, then from, from Wayne, um, my boss unfortunately got let go six weeks before I was supposed to get married. This is where stuff gets kind of interesting now. Uh, six weeks before I was supposed to get married. So my wife is a saint. I already knew that, but like that solidifies like, okay, like, yeah, she can, she can handle the coaching wife life and everything like that. So we actually, I actually got the UNL ops job uh, on our honeymoon. Uh, so I signed my contract while we were in uh, Jamaica on our honeymoon and uh, we flew back to uh to the states and my she's gonna hate me but she knows i tell the story all the time she like had a mental nervous breakdown in the jamaica airport like literally as a new husband and all this stuff it's like we didn't know what we were flying back to it was going to be chaos at the end of the day because she's a very organized structured person she's a school psychologist so she's very good at what she does but like she needs organization and we had no clue. We didn't have a place to live in Omaha. I had to get to Omaha in a few days because they were starting camps in 10 days and I had to run the camps and all this different stuff. So we had no clue what our life was going to look like. So that's obviously exactly what every married couple wants to go home to um, with things. And so we figured out, we made it work, was in Omaha for a couple of years and then uh, kind of got the itch to get back on the road uh, and on the floor recruiting and coaching. Um, and so, so Chad Boudreau, another Iowa guy, uh, helped me out and uh, invited me to come work for him at Highland Community College in Freeport. Um, and so that's the second summer I lived out of my car. And I was there for about six weeks sleeping on somebody's couch. I actually lived in the apartments with one of the players. Like I had signed a kid from Serbia and uh, he was my roommate for a short period of time. So I still call him roommate all the time. And he's at uh, St. Francis in Brooklyn. Uh, division one school there uh, great kid but yeah I lived in the apartment sleeping on a mattress uh, there and then I got the Chicago State job and was at Chicago State the next morning so pretty wild kind of cycle there it is I mean and that just speaks to the profession and obviously you guys that get into this know exactly um, what the road is but uh, yeah you, it's kind of a little bit of being comfortable being uncomfortable because things are always changing 
Um, we, you know, had Nate Lenzer on the pod too, and he always, him and Nate Oakland talk about be where your feet are because you're always going and, you know, you can't be thinking about what's next or what's to come or what happened. And uh, it sounds like you've definitely kind of uh, rolled with the punches. And, and then obviously the big thing and the reason why we're here too and doing this podcast is, is the connections that you make. Um, obviously, as you're going through it, just the relationships and the way that you treat people, your work ethic. I mean, I feel like all that is going to be what leads you to the next opportunity and opens the next door for you. No, for sure. I mean, that's my big thing is like <clears throat> relationships are just so huge at the end of the day in this profession. Treating people right, being a good person are so huge because unfortunately, that's not as common as you would think um, is probably the best wording I can use there because um, that's a big part of how I got this job like here at DMAC, you know, um, for a lot of different reasons, like my record as an assistant coach wasn't stellar um, necessarily. And, you know, coach McGinn here took a chance on an assistant from Chicago state that like we had won seven games in the two years that I had been there, uh, you know, with things. And that's not super common at the end of the day. Um, but he took a chance on me and, and just ran with the opportunity at the end of the day. But a big part of it was just how, I had treated other people and the relationships I had with other people in the profession that coach McGinn was also friends with. Um, and, and they were kind of the ones that helped, you know, push things over the top, um, you know, when it came down to this job being open. And so crazy year, obviously coming into a COVID year, um, you know, take, getting the job, um, obviously head coach experience, probably something that uh, you definitely wanted to, to have, but what was, what was the first uh, order of business once you got the job? What was, what was maybe one or two of the first things that you said, all right, here's, here's what we're going to do to not only get this season going, but get my program going in the direction I want. Yeah. Building relationships with the players. Um, because obviously that's like the hardest part with COVID and all that different stuff is like you had to build relationships through technology, which is fine, but like, it's so much better when you can be face to face, but we couldn't. Um, so I had to get and like these sophomores, I used to talk about all the time, but like these sophomores had been recruited by John Bowler, uh, were coached by Josh Sash and now coached by me. So they had, were going to have three different coaches in two years be involved in their college experience. And none of it was their fault um why these guys left they all got well it was their fault because they were too good and they got they got really good jobs I guess technically um but the, the assistant coaches had all had been in place still and so that was a big thing is having some continuity and some familiarity with these guys um you know with the with the staff and then with me it was just my job to build the best relationships that I could you know with them during that time and it was okay but it wasn't great probably until we got on campus and could start spending time together again because again, like regardless of everything going on in our world, like spending time together is still the best way to build relationships with people. Um, you know, and so once we got on campus, tried to spend a lot of time uh, with the guys as much as I could and building relationships, you know, with them that way. Um, obviously recruiting was another big part of it because we still had some spots and scholarships that we had to sign and fill uh, with things. But the relationship with the players was the biggest thing in the forefront of my mind because I knew we had a very good team, but they had to like trust me and I had to gain their trust and earn their trust. Well, and then one of the disadvantages of the JUCO level is you don't have a lot of time to do that either. Obviously, with these kids coming in and moving on and going, um, you know, you got to you got to ramp those relationships up and they got to trust you real quick. Thankfully, some of your rules and regulations as far as what you guys can have with contact definitely helps in that process. Um, and like you said, just throw COVID on top of that. And you guys were were having an uphill battle. But uh, 
Started off the season, I would assume the way you want, uh, open up with uh, with two huge wins. What do you what do you remember about the first couple of games and um, getting your head coaching experience going and, and the season started this year? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to open up their head coaching career versus the preseason number one team in the country? You know, right. like, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, no big deal. Well, yeah, it worked out. Uh, I mean, I like I said, I knew we had a good team. Um, we had a lot of really nice pieces, but for us, like I wasn't a hundred percent sure how it'd go that first couple of games because we hadn't played anybody else live yet. Like due to COVID and some different restrictions, we added two kids at the semester as well. We were supposed to scrimmage uh, another team in our league that Saturday before we played Kirkwood and um, they canceled on us. Like there was a snowstorm like two days before and they, they were coming from a, a ways away but they canceled on us. So like we had never played another team until we played Kirkwood. Like we did an inter-squad scrimmage on that Saturday to try to get it a little bit, but like, I thought we had some good pieces, but I didn't know, like, I didn't know how good we were and this and that. So to come out and compete the way we did and to win that game um, and then go up to Nyack who, um, you know, they had lost a lot from the previous year, but you know, was still a very good program and, and to play really well there. That's kind of when I knew we had a chance to be, um, you know, pretty good. And then we ended up losing to Marshalltown the next game. So that was, that was perfect. But um, yeah, man, like it, it was a wild year at the end of the day. Like we have a really, we had a really, really mature team. Um, and I think you're seeing at all different levels, like the maturity and experience was huge during, during this COVID year. Yeah. And you, I mean, you mentioned a lot of really good teams in your guys' league uh, as well. Uh, you know, that going up to Mason city and getting that win against Nyack in the second game had to, had to give you some confidence. Marshalltown obviously brought you back to reality, maybe a little bit, um, you know, hanging 75, 80 points here on most of these, most of these guys. What, tell me a little bit about this Southwestern game uh, at Creston. What, uh, what happened that night? Yeah. One for 17. We shot, I don't know what we shot as a team in the fi like final stats, but we shot over 40% from three all year. And we went one for 17. I'm like, good looks. It just happens, man. Like yeah. I talk about it with our guys all the time. And that was a great um, lesson for me is like, how do you impact winning when you're not scoring the basketball? And that game is the perfect example of it to me. Um, because we weren't shooting the ball great. So how are you impacting this game? How are you helping us win when it's an off night on the offensive end? And that's where it was a great learning experience. I'm, I'm not a huge, like, yeller, screamer after losses. You just got to learn from them. And that was the biggest thing we learned that game. And I think all of our guys learned and took away from is, like, how can we impact winning when we're not, our offense isn't going? Um, and, and our guys really bought into that. And dude, it's just one of those nights, man. Cause we played them a month later and went like 10 for 24 from three or something. Like, so we shot it a way better. And it's like, is what it is. Yeah. That's, is that's basketball. Just, yeah. Like it's just basketball, man. It, it just is what it is. You're going to have those nights. We all know it as coaches. And so that's just my big thing. Like how can you impact winning, uh, when your offense isn't there? Right. And uh, losing is always the best motivator anyway. So it's like, okay, here we go back to the, 
back to the drawing board. So, um, so then as you continue to move through, get uh, towards late in the season, um, and when we say late in the season, obviously your guys' season is late. Um, it feels like, you know, we have the whole March Madness, and, and you guys are still kind of just getting into the swing of things. And then we get into April, um, which is actually your guys' towards the end of the season. Um, walk us through a little bit of this. You, so you ended up dropping one to Ellsworth in the, in the regional tournament, or when, how, how does that come together? Region tournament. Yep. So our league this year got two bids due to, uh, due to COVID. And so in late January, we as coaches, uh, Tom McDonald's an unbelievable commissioner for our league. Um, and so helps us be super organized. So we had a, a league meeting, a conference call or whatever, and, uh, we voted on how we wanted to use our two bids. And, um, the Iowa conference, you know, the ICCAC has had a ton of success the last, uh, really the last six years, you know, at the national tournament uh, with four of the last six champions being from our league. You know, obviously I think last year's DMAC team probably could have did some really, really special things if they would have had the tournament as well. Um, so we wanted to make sure our two best teams made it to the national tournament. And so we had voted uh, to have the regular season champion make it because we knew the gauntlet that we were all going through at from a scheduling standpoint, and then the normal regional tournament champion make it. Uh, so we won the region, we won the regular season uh, at Kirkwood like a week before the season was over. So we, we clinched a bid to the national tournament like a week before the season was over. Uh, and the NJCA had come out saying that we, they were, we were going to need to test, uh, show a negative test, um, show a, a vaccine or show uh, a positive test within 90 days, you know, to be able to, to participate. And so we hadn't really been testing all year. And so my biggest concern in talking to different people, uh, we would test if the kids showed symptoms, you know, for COVID, but, uh, you know, at this level, we couldn't afford to test regularly uh, with things. So we hadn't tested all year. And so the, the people that I talked to at the different levels is like, hey, once you start testing again, you're going to find, you know, you're going to have some kids test positive and, and this and that, it, it, you know, it, that'll get down the road here. So we ended up actually, most of our guys ended up getting the Johnson and Johnson vaccine the day before we played Ellsworth. Um, that is not why we lost to Ellsworth. Ellsworth 100% outplayed us, but we were not feeling great necessarily, but it is what it is. I will sacrifice that game to be able to play in the national tournament at the end of the day. Um, I did. I thought we could, you know, hopefully still win the game. It didn't happen, but it was also probably the best thing that happened to us leading into the national tournament because we did not have to uh, get tested. Our, we had two players and a, a coach, um, not get that vaccine uh and one of the players tested positive and the assistant tested positive the player ended up having to get over to the national tournament his mom actually drove him over to the national tournament the wednesday so he missed our first game showed up on wednesday and played great having after having been in quarantine for 10 days and then my assistant missed the entire national tournament because he tested positive the went the friday before we went so retrospect think we made the right decision uh you know with that and so because of the vaccine we you know we're very fortunate to be able to play so um again like Ellsworth 100% outplayed us deserved to win that game but 
I also got to now rest our guys. And then we came back and we got to like practice, practice and kind of get back to who we were as a team, especially on the defensive end. And so it was really, really good for us that way. Man, I tell you what, those stories, obviously you're to remember the way that it ended, but even without that, I mean, just the COVID, I mean, just this whole deal. I mean, that's something that you would never would have thought getting into coaching that this was something that you would have to try to navigate and try to figure out answers to questions you're not even sure that are coming. But uh, that's a really neat story. And so then you get over to Danville and uh, reel off a few wins um, and find yourself against a, a familiar opponent in Iowa Lakes. Uh, what do you remember uh, going with that matchup against Iowa Lakes? I remember, like, being so stressed all day because we had beat Iowa Lakes both times during the regular season. They're a great, great team. And we all know the, the – it's true, 100% true. It's hard to beat a good team three times. And so all day I was thinking about, like, is this really going to be the game that they beat us? Like, really? Like, I, Troy Larson is an unbelievable coach. They have a great team and a great program. But, like, selfishly, I was like, why does it have to be this game? Why couldn't, you know, like, you know, all this different stuff. Um, and then we played very well and we guarded our absolute tails off um the whole game but then in the second half like it was a bloodbath like it was a both teams knew everything about each other type just they we blew a 13 point lead uh we went like 31 for 45 from the free throw line and it felt like we went like we felt like we missed like 30 free throws just during the game just all the emotions and all that stuff but our guys really really toughed it out and made big plays and big free throws when we needed to um, to win that game but it was just your typical two really really good teams that knew everything about each other uh, and so it just comes down to like you got to have your guys make plays and we were fortunate enough to uh, to make plays down the stretch to win but it just again shows like our league finished first and third in the national tournament and honestly I think if you would have thrown either one of us on the other side of the brackets away from each other we probably could have been playing on Saturday night uh, there's no doubt in my mind that would have been a strong possibility. Uh, that would have been way more fun uh, that way to play in there, you know, because DMAC had never even made a national championship game. Uh, so we were doing something like we were going for something for the first time in school history. I know they were as well. Um, so it, it was a it was a fun, ugly, stressful basketball game. That's for sure. Yeah, it looks that way. Obviously, um, a lot of your games in the 80s. Yeah, not pretty. It was it was a grinder. And obviously, you know, basketball fans here in the state of Iowa, we were just excited Two Iowa teams, you know, semifinals, you know, everyone was was excited. And, you know, Twitter was loving it, too. And obviously you and your fan base uh, loved it even more when you guys came out uh, on the right side of that. But uh, so then you go into the championship game and uh, kind of take care of business. You guys came out ready to go. And uh, I'm sure from your seat didn't feel like you were in control, but uh, you guys pretty much took control of that game and uh, um, had a nice win. Yeah. Yeah. They, they jumped, they were, they're super talented team. And so, um, so streaky, like they'd go on big runs. They'd let you back into the game. Then they'd go on big runs. So like they got out 18 to six on us. And then we went on a big run to get back in the game and took control of the game till about the 12, 16 minute mark in the second half. And they went on their second run now. Uh, like, I think there was, if I remember right, there was three runs of 16-0 uh, 
plus by both teams. Like yeah. we went on a 16-0 run. No, they went on a 16-0 run. We went on a 17-0 run. We went on a 20-0 run apparently to close the game um, with things. So it was just wild. But like Willie guys, as good of a point guard as I've ever coached. Um, and just, I was nervous because they trapped every ball screen. Didn't matter what position it was. They trapped every ball screen. And I love setting guard on guard ball screens with shooters so they could pop and get threes. And so I knew if we could move the basketball enough, we were going to get open shots. Um, it's just a matter of like, were we going to make them? They're very athletic. They're a really good team defensively, just kind of causing chaos. And Christian Hafner, uh, who is one of the best shooters I've ever been around, um, makes his first three of the game. And I was like, okay, like we're going to, we're going to be all right. He goes seven for nine from three. Uh, two days before versus Mott, he went one for six on like wide open threes. Just it was one of those in and out, in and out. Like just he was close all tournament and then picked the best game of the tournament to just have a huge shooting game for us. And we needed it. Um, so we go 11 for 20 from three because we moved the basketball and, and got the ball to the open guy and they knocked down open shots. We got layups now because of rotations or ball screens and, and this and that. So Willie really, really controlled the game and made the right decision with the basketball. He ended up with 12 assists and four turnovers. And really it should have been three of the refs. He got, we're up, and this is me to a T, like we're up 13 with seven seconds to go. And he literally gets fouled by all five guys, I'm pretty sure, on the other team. But the refs don't call anything. So like I kind of, I was very emotional more than normal. Um, and I like, I'm like kind of motioning to the refs and the ref points up to the scoreboard like this. And I was like, that's not what, as a coach, that's not what you want. Like, yeah, we were in control of the game, but at the same time, it's like, no, we weren't not with that. Like it didn't feel like it. Uh, so, uh, so like he, so one of his turnovers shouldn't count in my opinion. So he has 12 assists, three turnovers, like against that team, is great. They averaged um, their opponents turning the ball over 21 times a game. We had 16. And so I knew if we could keep it in that area, we were going to win uh, or have a chance to win. I knew if we could keep it a basketball game, we were going to have a chance to win. And that's right where it was um, at the end of the day. It was a little bit higher scoring than maybe we, um, our normal stuff was, you know, at least on the defensive end. But that's because they're so up and down. They're so talented, you know, with things. But we we did a really, really good job of controlling the – I'm going to say controlling the tempo, even though it was an 85 to, like, 74 game. But, like, that's a team that if it gets 90, 90, 800, like, we're, we're toast. And so we did a really good job of controlling the tempo uh, and making, you know, shots when we needed to. So – and that just all comes down to those guys, you know, and just the type of players they are. And so when the, the final buzzer finally goes off, I'm, I'm sure, like I said, you never felt comfortable until it went off. But uh, sense of relief or excitement or a combination of both, what, what do you remember about uh, that final buzzer? Yeah, so there's two things with it. So, like, obviously I knew first-year head coach stuff. Like, dude, like this, this stuff doesn't happen. Like, it's, it's wild to me still. It's really surreal still. Um, so with like two minutes to go, we got like a 12 point lead or, or, you know, double figure lead where I was like, okay, like we might be okay. But also those are the times where the clock doesn't feel like it moves at all. And so thankfully, like 
you know, we were getting stops and then they were fouling us and like significant time was going off the clock. At least it wasn't like it was five seconds foul, five seconds foul. It was like 15, 20, like stuff was stretching a little bit. So I was like, Holy cow. Like this, this might happen. Like this, this could happen. And the minute that thought popped into my head, we started hitting the front of the rim, hitting the back of the rim ball dropped in on like every free throw. It felt like, so I was like, dude, stop. Like I very much, I fight pessimism uh, in my own head a lot. Um, and so the funny part is, so, you know, obviously we're up 13. <clears throat> they come down after the turnover, they get a layup and there's like 1.2 seconds left on the clock. So we inbounds the ball and the clock doesn't start. And so there's a video that Brandon Gobo from Juco Advocate makes fun of me about like, I'm throwing my hands up in the air like what is going on this or that as like my players on the bench are like getting ready to storm the court but they didn't start the clock and it's like dude get to zero get to zero and uh it finally did and like I had to actually walk the other direction it, it just was uh it was wild at the end of the day like again to watch our guys celebrate at half court like just getting to kind of I just take in that moment was really really special um just because of how hard they work, everything that they sacrifice. Like people know about the sacrifices the division one players made. And this is that every kid at every level of basketball made the same sacrifices this year to play. All the coaches made those similar sacrifices. Like I'm not one to tell people they need to do something and then not do it myself. And so we sacrificed, you know, a ton as coaches. And so just to see that come about, um, and see the joy and the excitement was was really really special yeah i think that's probably the the silver lining with this pandemic and COVID is just the perspective in which that we've gained from it that uh you know this is a game we love but uh we've kind of realized that you know we're willing to sacrifice a lot of things to do that and to be able to come out on top you know not only for you in your first year um but then for these guys and what they went through i i bet uh you know obviously you had to have you had to be very proud of the guys. And then, like you said, from yourself, from the coaching side of things, just very relieved that, hey, you know what? Because there was a lot of buildup here the last four days. And, you know, I knew this was possible. But like you said, until that zeros go on those clocks, you're, you're still sitting there coaching your tail off until, until it final horn. No, for sure. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, too, like with this team, you know, obviously DMACs a really, really special program that has been uh, developed over a number of coaches, a number of players, you know, really over the last 21 years, especially, um, you know, with coach Orv, um, you know, coach McGinn, John Bowler, Josh Sash, and there's a ton of people in the community. So you were really playing for so many different people um, with, with it, but also for our players, they were playing for their teammates that didn't get this experience last year, those sophomores that moved on that got it taken away um, I know there was different group chats and stuff like that going on. Like you were playing for something bigger than just yourself. And that's always what you want, you know, out of a program. And that's always when programs are really, really special, in my opinion, when you know, your players, your staffs and everything like that understand that they're playing for something bigger than just themselves. Absolutely. So, uh, so any thoughts then of retirement then, and maybe finding some cushy harder. camp director or something? <laughs> I was if I was a way smarter person than I am like I would retire but my brother lives in San Diego so like and I live in the Midwest my whole life so like clearly I'm not 
that smart. Like if I was smart, <laughs> the beach, they live three blocks from the, the ocean beach here in San Diego. So like, they're obviously really much smarter than I am. So I'll just with what I can somewhat do <laughs> here as a coach. It's, it sounds like you're pretty good at sleeping on couches too. So you might be able to head, uh, head south for a little while. And get some sun. On their couch though, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't trust the, the sanitation uh, <laughs> couch to be perfectly honest with you. That's no, that's great, Coach. Well, that it sounds like quite the run. Obviously, like I said, uh, championship or not, a year that you will remember um, just from COVID and the challenges and what set it through um, your guys' way. But uh, to come out on top makes it even sweeter. And um, obviously, I know the work's not done, and now you guys are prepping and preparing and recruiting and, and getting ready for next year. Yeah, no, that's the crazy part. Like, we got back um, – and this week's finals week right now. So like our guys are in finals. Today's the last day of finals. Uh, and then they can go home. But like you, you almost don't get as much time as you wish you have or could, you know, to enjoy, enjoy it with them. Um, but at the same time, like it was a long year and I know we all need a little bit of a break and, and uh, kind of the reset and all that stuff too. It's kind of those bittersweet uh, moments right now. Yeah. I think that's a common, um, I guess commonality between, as you kind of mentioned, between every, every level of basketball that there needs to be a time to kind of reset and, you know, maybe revamp a little bit too. So good that you're giving your kids that too. And, and as we were talking about, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe like a speaking, uh, maybe a speaking career for you, coach, uh, 100% national championship games. I've only coached head coach one year. Uh, I mean, we can maybe even help you out with that here. Yeah, you know, that maybe isn't the bad, worst thing in the world, you know, just to go out on top and just talk about it. All. I could, I, I don't like talking about myself too much, but uh, that probably beats having a worse record as a coach and, and everything like that too. So like if I had a text from somebody today that's like, dude, it's all downhill from here. And it's like, yeah, right. like I, I know, I know like this isn't, uh, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to not do good at the first year and make yourself look better as you go. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm doing the opposite, apparently. Set the bar pretty high, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe string a couple of national championships in a row here together. That might be uh, a way to go up. That's the only way for things to be better or not worse so i guess that's yep. what we'll definitely work towards doing that's for sure that's what you have to do have to do uh well good coach hey uh we'll get you out of here in time and manner we'd like to end our podcast uh with a little section called rapid fire brian will hit you with some questions um about basketball some not about basketball and you just let us know what comes to the top of your head all right sounds good all right coach uh favorite visiting gym you've had an opportunity to coach in oh allen fieldhouse that's that's a tough one to beat. Good one. I sure. think we've had that one, one once or twice, but yeah, that's probably a tough one to beat. Um, what's your uh, favorite part about the city of Danville, Illinois? <laughs> <laughs> did you go to? Did you, did you make a stop at the drive-through liquor store after the championship, or what was the deal there? So okay, I got a, I got a good story for this one. So apparently, like, yeah, that's super well known in Danville is the drive-through liquor store. So like, she had been staying with me in the hotel. Afterwards, I was like, hey, like, you know, get something to celebrate or whatever. So she pulls up to it. It's like ten thirty, um, and BJ Coach McGinn was telling me stories. Like the guy sleeps and lives in the back of the um, liquor store, and so she thought it was like a walk-in. And so she's like, gets out of the vehicle, goes to walk in. And the guy like pops his head. I was like, oh no, it's a drive-through. 
So then instead of getting back in the car, she walks to the drive-through part. Uh, and the, she orders a, a, a six pack of uh, something. And the guy cuts a 12 pack in half <laughs> with a knife. Oh, man. And, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, like $6, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, that was that that I'll go with that one. P thirteen, you know, whatever. Other than that, uh, you know, the people at when, Salt Fork High School were great to us and let us practice and stuff there. Uh, and like a lot of the ICCAC <laughs> schools end up doing that. Um, but it's like a small town, like cool, cool gym. Like we all been to like those small one A schools, like wood bleachers still, like maybe three or four rows and like natural light and all it, it just like it was exactly what I had hoped the gym was going to be uh, when we pulled up to it. So that was, that was pretty cool too. That's great. Yeah. That's un unbelievable. So, um, all right. So favorite basketball shoe. Uh, Jordan retro 11. Ooh, 11 color. You got a favorite color. Yeah, but I can never get them. The, the concords, the white mm -hmm. and black. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good choice. That's, that's like iconic. You can't go wrong with that one. Mm -hmm. Um, if you could pick any coach in the country that, uh, you could go and be an assistant under for one week, um, who would you pick? That's a really good question. Um, I really like Porter Moser a lot, uh, for a lot of different reasons his attention to detail. Um, but like uh, their defensive stuff, like I love their defensive stuff. It's really, really intriguing and interesting to me. Um, so I would say Porter Moser. That's a good one. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things uh, go for him down in Oklahoma now and, and what he's able to do there. So um, who's the greatest uh, greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan. Good. You're you're right on the edge where you start to lean LeBron. So yeah, I didn't know maybe, maybe LeBron. Yeah, like I have a lot of respect for LeBron and Kobe and all that stuff, but like no, it's still, for me, Michael Jordan. Like I wasn't old enough to watch a ton, but like I know. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, Adam and I get a chance to come up and uh, catch one of your guys' home games. Where do we uh, Where do we got to grab a bite to eat in Boone before we uh, head over to the gym? Okay, so this place isn't in Boone, so this might hurt my credibility here. <laughs> what, what you smoking in Luther? Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely a big-time barbecue place. Um, yeah. In Boone um, – the Colorado Grill is very good. Uh, the Dutch Bakery isn't open at night, but if you're there for lunch or whatever for an afternoon game, those are two really good places. Um, but what you're smoking in Luther is big time. And Luther is like a town of like not Eight very people. Yeah, I was going to say 45, and that might be way too high. Um, but uh, what you're smoking is is a big time barbecue place there. And it would be absolutely on the way on Highway 17 for us on the way up. So that <laughs> yeah, would that exactly that would work but uh all right coach we'll get you out of here on this one we always like to ask at the end what's uh what's the best thing about being the head coach of the the dmac bears just the community support um on campus and just in the boom community in general like so many people just care and are passionate about helping uh our student athletes and that's just really really fun to be around at the end of the day i mean that's not unfortunately the case at every school um, and so it just really makes it a special place is just how much they care about, you know, their, uh, their athletics, but also care about the student athletes, you know, on and off the court. 
That's great. And uh, again, coach, we appreciate you taking some time, jumping on with us, sharing your story, obviously talking about the run. Congrats again on the national championship. We'll be uh, excited to see uh, how you follow up that campaign. Um, and we'll be watching closely here next year as well. No, it sounds good. Thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. Like Brian said, coach, we, we appreciate it. And um, it was great to, great to connect with you and great to talk, talk past and, and the present and future with you. So uh, like Brian said, we'll be looking forward to more success from DMAC. Thank you. And whether a new listener, a repeat listener, or somebody who has listened to a few, but not many, we appreciate you. We would absolutely love it. If you like what you hear, go wherever you catch your podcast, give us a five-star rating. It helps us to reach more people. It helps us to get the game of basketball into more people's ears. You can catch us on many social media channels. On Facebook, search Shooters Touch. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Shooters Touch IA. Our new website, the Shooters Touch Podcast.com. And as usual, Shooters Shoot. I got the Shooters Touch. Can't nobody shoot like me. Fourth quarter down three, need a two and one. Better call on me, better call on me. If you know you need a shooter, I'm ice cold like a cooler. Get you right though, I can tutor this. That mic flow, I'm a hooper. I got blue faces. Thanks again for listening to the Shooters Touch Podcast. We really appreciate your support. Now, I'd like to take a quick second and talk about the real estate market. As you probably know, it is an absolute sweepstakes out there. Right now we have listings that are selling anywhere between 10, 15, even $20,000 over asking. Interest rates are low, inventory is even lower. And so if you've thought about selling or buying or getting into an investment property, I'd love to talk with you a little bit more about the process and, and maybe ways in which that you can take advantage of the current market. I'm at WB Realty. Hit me up at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at wbrealty.com.